Enter now the age of apocalypse, Shiga, with your hosts, Day Spring and Scott Free. Xavier is dead. Apocalypse reigns. This is the age of apocalypse. Welcome to Power of X-Men Apocalypse, the podcast where we review every single issue of the classic reality-warping, high-octane, epic X-Men crossover event known as Age of Apocalypse. I am what you get when Doug Ramsey gets resurrected by Celine, but then goes off for a two-for-one happy hour at Avalanche's Bar in San Francisco, Dayspring! And I am the love child of Black Tom and Juggernaut, Mr. Scott Free. (laughs) Scott we have to behave ourselves today. You know why? You're sober. <laughs> yes, actually, I am sober. This is water with apple cider in it, by the way, because apparently it's supposed to help with your digestive tracts. But no, it's because we have my internet crush on the podcast today. Paul, I'm, I'm always here. <laughs> <laughs> well, you are. That you are. But... Our guest today is the co-host of the Imperious Rex show, which is two guys drinking beers and discussing their favorite comics. We've collaborated with them before with the Hellfire Gala earlier this summer and the review of Invincible and Ultimate Spider-Man are next level. He occasionally is in drag with looks that range from Jessica Rabbit to Elvira to Emma Frost to Sarah Sanderson. He breaks the internet, but also my heart. Please welcome Ghost Hunter Dave. Hey, thanks for having me. Paul, you say that to all of the people that you have on your show, don't you? I actually do, but I really sincerely (laughs) mean it when I say it to your face. (laughs) Wonderful. That's all I need to hear. How are you doing Uh, today? I'm good. Thanks for having me, gentlemen. Thank you for for coming. We're happy to have you. And we actually have an episode that we recorded a couple months ago, actually, probably was like, what, May or April of last year? I feel like we got to be coming up on about a year now, right? I know. I'm fucking horrible when it comes right. to like airing It's a year-long episodes. friendship. <laughs> <laughs> I love Scott's face. He's like, yep, yeah, that must be it. Well, I, I mean, I'm your co-host, and the episode that we did, you still haven't even released. So. <laughs> <laughs> your first like, episode. You're like Scrooge McDuck. You just have a vault of banked episodes that you jump into and swim through in the night, I believe. Well, what I was trying to do before we relaunched in uh, in Age of Apocalypse, I was going to try to release all these episodes, but then my laptop crashed. And actually that episode, Scott, like your very first episode on Power of X-Men, it actually was like 75% edited and then my computer crashed. And I was like, I'm not going to edit this again. Like I have to listen to his voice weekly. So, <laughs> wow, easier just to re-record it at that point. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm just gonna let that sink in. So, <laughs> but Dave, we are so excited to have you, and we're gonna kick off with a little Q and A, so our audience knows about you a little bit more and why you're exactly the biggest heartthrob on the internet. Oh my god, I can't, I can't live up to this, Paul. Come on. <laughs> Why don't you tell us a little bit about like the origin of uh, Imperious Rex? Oh, well, let's see. Our origin story dates back uh, five years now, I believe. Actually, like almost to the day. I think five years ago, me and my uh, buddy Troy, Troy to the Max Extreme, 
for friends of the show, uh, just got together. We would do this periodically where we'd get together in each other's basements and just drink beer and geek out about comics while our wives entertain themselves in the other room. Uh, not not like that. Not what you'd think. But <laughs> you're talking to two I, I mean, gay maybe men. they could. Who knows? Who knows? Maybe they were. You're talking to two to gay men. Our minds did not go there at all. <laughs> no. I was like, they're on the other been more order. interesting if they did. <laughs> Uh, but we would we would just kind of do this periodically. And we've been friends since like high school. We kind of grew up in the same area, went to the same graphic design program in high school. And uh, we would get together and do this like as an excuse to just BS about comic books and movies and do all that, all that stuff that red blooded men do <laughs> drink beer and talk about fictional characters um and then like we he had a podcast around that time too with another friend of ours and we had kind of floated the idea of maybe trying to do like a comic book show because his podcast is not comic related and we're like okay let's uh let's just try filming an episode and see if it works if not you know it was a fun experiment and we'll just continue drinking and talking sans camera so we did. We did a Grant Morrison episode because the book Multiversity came out at that time and we were both itching to read it. And we put it up there and it got like 10 views and we were like, all right, I guess we made it. Let's keep it going. <laughs> so then we kept it up for another five years and it uh, did get a steadily growing, uh, humble fan base of uh, viewers that we've kind of you know, connected with, and we've got a growing community there, but we're not, we're not up there with, you know, the high ranking internet celebrities or anything, but we have a good time doing it. And, you know, if we weren't recording it, we'd probably still be doing something similar to that anyway. I have so many feels on everything you just said. Like one, when you upload a video or an episode and you get these like random like views from like the internet, you feel so good about yourself because you're like, yes, I did make it. But yeah. then you're like, oh, it's only like five views. Like relax. <laughs> right. But and you look at the watch time and they drop off after like 10 minutes. And I'm like, um, guys, we talked for 30 minutes. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm assuming you're coming back to it. I am so meticulous. I look at that stuff too. And it's, it drives you insane. But what I, what I love about your show, like the, the show you guys do and produce, it's that you guys have built a really big community and YouTube is a really hard platform to actually yeah. grow. And you guys have such great engagement and like a good time doing it. Yeah. Well, I, uh, I have, something of a video background. I'm something of a scientist when it comes to video. <laughs> not a lot, not, not as much as you would expect, given my job is actually in video production, but don't let them catch wind of that. But I, uh, you know, when you look online at comic book YouTube videos, they're pretty standard setup. You know, a lot of times it's just a webcam or just like one camera and it's just a dude talking to it for what seems like way too long. And I always thought, like, if we're going to do this, I want it to have, like, a little bit more production value to it. Because I can't just sit and watch a guy talk to the screen for an hour. I'm like, if we're talking about books, we got to show the books, which is like a hole I dug myself in. Because I'm also very meticulous about the production of it. So if we reference anything in the episode, I'm like, right, oh, shit, I guess get that page and put the page up. And I can't just show the page. I've got to have like a slow zoom in on the page and then like a transition to the next page and all that. So I've just created a mountain of work for myself, but I'm 
the kind of person that wouldn't have it any other way. Like I'm not relaxed unless I'm stressed out about 12 different projects going on. So that is kind of what we did. You know, we were like, if we're going to do this, it's going to be like, you know, a couple camera setup so it doesn't get boring and just linger on people talking stuff we can cut away from. We ended up like bringing in costumes and themes and just stuff to like entertain us. And as it turns out, like it entertained most of the viewers too, because as it turns out, there's not a whole lot of other YouTubers that do what we do on there. And it's funny when we started out, like we're kind of under the impression like, well, we have to appear really knowledgeable about this stuff. And then eventually we're like, actually, no, we don't. Like it's way better if we do not appear knowledgeable and we just carry on that vibe of like, it's just two friends, three now because we have a third co-host. But just some guys drinking in the basement, laughing about like the dumb shit that we read in the comic, you know, like we'll leave it to the other people because there's plenty of great YouTubers out there that can give you deep dives on the history and the mythology of these comics. And people can go there. If we stack up against them, we're going to come in severely lacking. But I hope that what our channel conveys is just that feeling of like just chatting with your buddy over beers about like a comic you read. You're talking to two people who just want to have a good time. Like we openly acknowledge that we don't know what the fuck we're talking about at times. And the conversation <laughs> often goes to cow titties and chunkody.com. <laughs> but at, um, at least you guys are like just centered on X-Men. So like you have a, a very vast knowledge of X-Men. When we try to bring in X-Men, we're just like, okay, so uh, like who's Joseph again? Is he <gasps> Magneto? Is he Magneto's kid? Like, we don't know. And we we don't know how to <laughs> we don't know how to fake that. I can't right now. How do you not know who Joseph is? I don't. It's still the answer still eludes me. <laughs> <laughs> that was actually one of my notes to ask you. Like, explain Joseph. <laughs> oh, we will explain Joseph. Yeah, Paul, Please Paul do. will in excruciating detail. Um, <laughs> I've been losing sleep, so I'm glad we can get this result. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think Planet X-Men probably has a reading guide for Joseph, but we're going to take that offline so we can... I'm going to school you on that. And Extreme There's only and so Nick much Ray. show. <laughs> There's only yeah. so much show. <laughs> so when you talk about costumes, I'm curious about the drag you do, and because I think that makes your show very special, and I love seeing it. Like, How did you come about doing those looks? and bring that to, to the show? <laughs> that is a great question. One that I haven't even completely wrapped my head around yet, but it, uh, I think it just started because we were doing a Grant, another Grant Morrison episode where we were doing their Wonder Woman, Batman, and Superman. And Troy, my co-host, had a Superman suit. So I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to go as Wonder Woman. And like, it'll be real funny. And like, we'll all have a good laugh. And then like we did that and I was like, actually, that was kind of fun. Let's like, let's kind of keep that, that uh, train moving on that. So they became more and more elaborate as it went on. And uh, like, I, I wouldn't say that I identify as like non-binary, but I definitely have a strong feminine side and I'm not like one of those guys that's can't admit that or has like a problem with that. So it just kind of became this facet of the show that we embraced. And um, I guess like the rest is history on that. Uh, off of that, like what's your favorite look that you've done? Oh man, that's, that is a good question. Like we, 
went heavy into Emma Frost for all of our X-Men stuff. And uh, that was when the Hellfire Gala was going on. So I was like, okay, well, I, I need not one, but at least three different ensembles for that. <laughs> I love <laughs> what a I, diva you are. I know, I know. Like it actually, the show, the episode amount expanded based on how many different wardrobe choices there were. So like me and my wife were going over to uh, like Joanne's fabrics. And I was like, I need like a big feathery like cape that I can wear you know, like a tarp essentially. Yeah. So we went, she helped me make that. And uh, just like some Amazon, some very strange Amazon browsing where I'm like, actually, yeah, that looks about right. Like we'll add that to cart. <laughs> so I, I would say just on sheer quantity, probably Emma is uh, leading the pack right now. Yeah. I mean, you, you keep the Amazon algorithms on their toes. It's, it's great. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> We're trying to stand out of, uh, from the pack here on Imperious Rex. Sidebar. I love your wife, Courtney, but I'm looking at her Instagram right now and don't T Y bear is her handle. She <laughs> has so much swag. And like, every time, like I post something about you and I'm like my internet crush, she's there like, ha ha. Yeah. <laughs> she's hysterical. <laughs> Oh, yeah. She's a wonderful and a very understanding woman. <laughs> and, we have uh, to have her on the show sometime. Oh, yeah. She would love that. Uh, I'm currently, I was going to say making, but she's her own woman. I have asked her politely to read Saga because we just all read Saga for the show. And that's actually going to be on our episode next week. And she would like, I was just showing her all these panels from it and being like, this is such a good book. I think you'd really like this. So she is currently in a deep dive of Brian K. Vaughn and Fiona Staples saga at the moment, which is like her first comic in like 15 years. When we first started dating, like I was giving her all these books, like she'd go home after leaving my house with like a stack of books, which I've always assumed she read, but she's never brought them up since. So who's to say if they just sat on a dresser until we met again. But uh, since then, she hasn't been shy about saying like, comics are your thing it's okay you it's okay for just you to like them so uh for her to take this step and read saga for me it was a uh, very relationship affirming well we're gonna have to give her an issue of age of apocalypse to read and bring yes. her on that would be amazing no context just throw her in <laughs> throw her and in. see what throw she says in. But that's kind of like the vibe that we're trying to do here as well, which is like, it's okay if you haven't read all of Age of Apocalypse or if you're not really familiar with X-Men, like it's okay to just step in and be lost. Mm -hmm. I feel like there's this stigma, especially like if you're podcasting or have any sort of platform that you have to be 110% knowledgeable and only your guests can be knowledgeable as well. And it's like, no, like that's bullshit. Like <laughs> half the fun of the X-Men. And I think I was talking about this with Chris over at Planet X-Men was that like there was a point in our lives where we all picked up an issue of a comic and were lost and had mm -hmm. no idea what was yeah. going on. And that's natural. That's th this. Th these are dense sci-fi themes, which we will get into this particular issue. And some of it is really fucked up and it's OK to be yeah. confused and weirded out by it. You just move forward with it. Yeah, and somehow we all stuck with it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but speaking, so it can happen. Speaking of some of your favorite looks, I know one look I'm dying to see you do, and I know Scott is going to join me in this, which is Wanda. 
Oh yeah. Home? Are you going to yeah. do a Wanda? <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Scott's I a guess... huge Wanda fan. Yeah. Uh, Paul, Paul and I have a contentious relationship when it comes to uh, Wanda Maximoff. So uh, don't don't let him don't let him fool you. <laughs> <laughs> would it? Would you prefer the dead Wanda from uh, the end of Hellfire Gala? Would that be? a better look in your eyes. Yeah, I mean, like, just, just reenact the whole scene. Like, just a choked out Wanda. Stop it. I'm not going to deal oh, with any of the no. slanderous talk of Ghost Hunter Dave being a dead Wanda. Absolutely <laughs> not. He has to be Force Works Wanda, where she has, like, the short hair and, like, the bathing suit. <laughs> that sounds about right. Yeah, I feel like that's Dr. really Strange on brand for out? you. Yeah, when does Doctor Strange 2 come out? Could, uh, it- could we schedule a tie-in with that? I yes, one hundred percent. I think it's May six. Yeah. Uh, hang on, let's okay. let's ask Doctor Google here. <laughs> when does Doctor Strange let me, do come let me, out? Let me collaborate with Councilman Bing. Um, I'm pretty sure it's May six, but I could be wrong. Let's see, right here. Yeah, May six. Okay, there's time. There's still Great. time. Let's do that. Wanda and- look. And I'll throw you, I'll let you know which issue will be on for Age of Apocalypse at that time. Uh, it's funny because I have the Age of Apocalypse omnibus just sitting here on my shelf staring at me and I've never even cracked it open. It's one of those where like, I will someday. Uh, it's, not today. Not <laughs> I only today. read yeah. one issue not of today. it today. But, uh, and that one I just bought off Comixology because I'm like, I'm not going to dig for this. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to digging into the entire thing eventually. But this one was a good... Good little uh, dip in the toe into the waters of Age of Apocalypse. Yeah, I I'm feel like, yep, fucked up X Men. Fu- <laughs> Just what always. I expected. Yep, this is X Men at the height of them being extremely weird. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, and and we'll get into this issue, but I think we have a couple more questions for you. All right. Well, like on that, you know, this this is like an icon of like '90s comics. Um, like, what was the first, like, comic you remember, like, reading distinctly? Oh, man, that's a great question. I actually have some questions prepared for you guys as well, and that's pretty oh. close to one of yours. Shut uh, the fuck up. I was going to ask you. Are yeah, you going to turn guys, the mic on us? I'm going to turn it around. I'm going to flip the script. God, this but, is why I love Ghost Hunter Dave so much. You just <laughs> never know what to expect. Well, you guys ask questions all the time. I'm sure you want to be asked a couple yourselves, so... <laughs> A show. I know. I know how it feels. <laughs> we were asked loving... some pretty obscene questions last night on our Instagram live. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. That, that one weird direction. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> but let, I'll answer your question here with a question. No, I won't. Okay. I'll just get right to it. I think one of the first comics that I remember having was like it was an X Men comic. Actually, it was. Uh, I think it was in the executioner's song arc it was the cover was apocalypse like crawling over a big log and i believe colossus and storm were kind of like veering up on him from behind and it came bagged with an x-men trading card which i think was a bishop and i remember this vividly like it came sealed in a bag with a trading card so it like I didn't get it from a comic shop because there weren't any comic shops around here, but it must have been like just one of these ones that like grocery stores or something carried. 
because I remember having that. And then like, I think I got it again for Christmas, not too long after that. So that one comic is just burned into my mind. And it was like typical nineties X-Men had kind of like, if it wasn't Jim Lee, it was a very close Jim Lee facsimile as the artist. And um, yeah, I like, I didn't read comics at that time. I just like flipped through them. I remember there was a scene where like Archangel has Apocalypse pinned down and he's got his wings across his throat like he's going to hack his head off. And I I just remember like so many moments in that book. Yeah, that was yeah, that's that's Uncanny X-Men 295. And Uh the artist was Brandon Peterson, who actually I don't know Brandon Peterson's work too much. Executioner Songs is one of those big crossovers that I enjoyed yeah. reading growing up, but I haven't revisited as an adult actually. Mm-hmm. Like I've revisited so many of the big crossovers, but like fatal attractions and executioner song. I haven't. You, yeah. you have to really like strife and big shoulder pads <laughs> and baby food and all the weird. Yes. Yeah. Does he force feed Cyclops baby food in that? Yeah. That is another thing that stuck out in my mind is yeah. like, this is gross. Should I be reading this? What is this? Yeah, I, I don't know like what issue Scott Lobdell was working through with that, but the, the force feeding your dad baby food is is very specific. All right. I'm glad I'm not the only one that this issue resonated with. Or not resonated, haunted might be the better term. <laughs> I don't but, remember uh, this issue at all. Again, I read I read Executioner songs in like the mid '90s. It's like a blur. Yeah, there's another one that springs to mind too that I remember buying at a campground when I was little, and it was a issue of X Men where they're in Hong Kong and like a giant dragon attacks the city, and like the cover is just a big close up of the dragon's eye with Lockheed like blowing fire at it, and I remember it because the title logo of x-men had all of the x-men like hanging on it like just chilling on the letters and it just had like the whole cast there just splayed out and i remember like drawing that all the time as a kid i'm like oh they're all there and nightcrawler's like hanging upside down by his tail and wolverine's like kind of like slunched over like wolverine does leaning up against it and uh, I was actually able to find that at a comic shop not too long ago. And I immediately bought it. I'm like, oh, my God, this takes me right back. Yeah, go home and, like, draw this logo again like I did as a kid. It's Uncanny X-Men 181. And that is a hot cover. I love how they're all in, like, the logo. And, like, Colossus is there just, like, sitting like that, like, all relaxed. He's like, <laughs> He's like yep. bro, I'm just chilling here as this dragon is destroying the world. Yeah, Mohawk Storm is lounging like it's a beach chair on the X. There. Oh my god, yes. That is that's amazing. Like, did they was that the title style of the logo at that point? Or is this just a weird one-off where they're like, you know, we can't just have a dragon on the cover. We need to pepper the X-Men in here somewhere. <laughs> How about they're just hanging out on the logo? I feel like we don't get any creative logos like this anymore, though. No. Like on like the recent issues. Like, no. God, I want to share that. I know. Charles Xavier standing, leaning up against the X. Like, what's that oh, to yeah. love? <laughs> oh my God, he is there, like leaning up against the X. Yeah, Charles, look at him. Um. Okay, so what is? Or excuse me. Okay, so who is your favorite X Men? Um, I think my favorite X Men has been and probably 
always will be Archangel. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know why exactly. I just, that character always resonated with me. I always kind of had a thing for like the characters that like went bad at some point, like had this transformation where he's like literally the embodiment of an angel, like a heavenly angel. And then he becomes like the angel of death. And then how he kind of comes back from that. I just think that's a really cool character arc and a character that I think is like really underutilized in a lot of his appearances. Oh, I Other agree. than like Rick Remender's Uncanny X-Force, which I was like, that should be that should be Archangel's swan song. Like, I don't need to see anything else with him. That should have been it. He just, he's done now. And I'm okay with that because like, what a great end for that character. The Dark Angel saga was so mm-hmm. epic when it was being released. I'm forgetting what years it was. Was it like the mid 2000s, like 2011? 2010-ish. Yeah. yeah. But it was so good. And people were comparing it to like the Dark Phoenix saga. And it was so wonderful. And then they just dropped that whole subplot with the Death Seed and Warren. And he was just, you know, he, yeah. he had amnesia for like a couple of years there. And no one knew what to do with him. And now all of a sudden he has his memories back. I, yeah. I don't remember how he got his memories back. Yeah, I remember having read that and I was like, oh, man. So they like they bring him back. But then what happens? And from what I gathered, like nobody really knew. It was just like he's kind of here in the background and like we don't know what to do with him. It's like, bad. man. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, he's he's probably like my go to character. I actually have a tattoo of him on my uh, on my leg. So it's the only X-Men that I have tattooed on my body. So I guess that would make <laughs> him my favorite. I, I knew he was your favorite, but I didn't know you had a tattoo of him. Yeah. 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 It's from uh, I think from uh, Mike Diotto or Diotto. Is it Diotto? He One of the covers from um, Uncanny X-Force. It's him kind of, you know, in this pose, like with the wings out and everything. I try to hike my leg up here, but I'll just send you a picture after the uh, <laughs> after the podcast. Well, well like in a similar vein, who's your least favorite X-Men? Oh, man. I uh, There's a lot that I'm just like kind of samey on, you know, because there's so many X-Men. But having talked with Paul previously, you really opened my eyes to how awful beast is on a pretty regular basis. Yes. Where yes. He just, he just kind of sucks. Just He's horrible. He's just a piece of shit. I mean, even, even in the comic we're reading today, like he just stands there and is utterly useless. Like, Oh my stars and garters. Like shut the fuck up. Like someone yeah. just needs to like kill him. Yeah, I yeah. don't even mind like a mad scientist slant for him, but he's just so unlikable. Like, like you can go, he's kind of like Hannibal Lecter, where he just wants to kind of like fuck around and see what happens. But like <laughs> even Hannibal Lecter is likable. Beast isn't likable. <laughs> like you could do some stuff with Beast, but he's just like such a, a lame character. And I didn't always hate him either. Like in the 90s cartoon. I loved Beast. He wasn't one of my favorite, but I'm like, but I like, I appreciate his role. You know, he's like, he's a smart guy and he's waxing Shakespeare and all this, but just kind of his evolution into a total piece of shit. I, I don't know. I just, I don't think it was handled in a way that was very enjoyable to read. That's probably the correct answer for this show. So. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> all right. Good. Hitting all hey, the marks. 
And like seriously, like George Buza or Buzza Beast is perfect from the X Men yeah. animated series. That version of Beast, like you, ha- we have no qualms with it. And we told that Scott to the Leewalds that like the way they were, he's rendered on the X Men animated series and presumably X Men ninety seven mm-hmm. is perfect. And even yeah. Kelsey Grammer Beast, I can tolerate if I have enough alcohol in me. <laughs> but like comic book beast is just the worst and i love it when he's mad scientist dark beast that version because i was like just let him lean into who he really is right yeah i just think it's when he's being disingenuous trying to be like for the better of mankind or excuse me mutant kind but he's really just a hypocrite who always sides with the avengers the inhumans probably for judgment day we're going to get him to side with the eternals like just shut the fuck up you like (laughs) yeah and he's he's the head of the mutant cia right now and like you know i mean he took over a country in central america (laughs) Um, yeah yeah so and i love how he used to go no it's like a no, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, and I was gonna. I was just gonna say. I love that he's like in charge of the mutant CIA right now. But then he ragged on Cyclops over having X Force during the Messiah Complex era, and then what like imprisoned Cyclops and Cyclops and was just like, oh my god, like you did all these horrendous, <laughs> horrendous things, and like fuck you, Beast, just fuck off. Yeah. When uh, what era was it where Beast really took that kind of heel turn into a uh, just a shit character? Because, you know, like he used to be jovial and bouncy and fun. And then like he just went all serious and the the laughter left his eyes. <laughs> what happened? Was that around like the Bendis era? Even a little before, I think it was second coming, right? Yeah. Scott, where he discovered like that Cyclops was doing some like shady shit. And he was okay. just like, how could you? Oh, my God. And then and then from from that to the Krakoan age, so including like IVX, AVX, um, Resurrection, Bendis's run, all that. He just came off like a total tool. And he lied to the original five X-Men when he brought them to the present, yes. being like, yeah, Cyclops is responsible for the mutant genocide. It's like, no, he actually isn't. He was trying to save the mutants. And then he fucking looks at teen genes and you're like, look at you. I didn't think it would be so hard to see you. It's like, you're telling a teenage girl that she's one day destined to die. You sociopathic piece of shit. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, Tell us how you really feel about these. I want... <laughs> I want you to make a supercut of all your favorite beast uh, <laughs> beast slander and put that out. Although I will say I'd like this like 90s beast at times because like there's a point in in the 90s where Dark Beast abducts him and like puts him behind like a brick wall during the Onslaught era. And I'm like, yes, that's a great plot for Beast. Thank you. <laughs> Just and- the cask of Amartya. Oh, the, the Edgar Allan Poe story there. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And you have... You have Jean, you have Betsy, and you have Charles and Emma, these huge psychics at the time, and literally Dark Beast just comes and swaps swaps places, and you know they're like, eh, whatever. <laughs> like, they knew. They, they were yeah, like, they yeah, knew they, what they was knew. going on. What's they knew? <laughs> apples to apples. Like, it's all the same beast. <laughs> Anyways, I digress. I'm sorry. <laughs> all right, so if you could sit down and drink with any X-Man, who would it be and why? good one man i think we went through some of these earlier and i was like that's a tough one um there's a lot that i wouldn't want to (laughs) after after seeing nightcrawler's behavior during the gala it would not be nightcrawler (laughs) 
guy cannot hold his liquor for a Catholic whatsoever. Um, <laughs> I I think Iceman would be a lot of fun. You know, he's just he's good natured, good dude. Not gonna make a joke about like, well, you'd always keep your drink cold. But I mean, there's that too. But I think you know, he's just got kind of that young, youthful energy. Uh, Gambit might be fun, but I think that'd get a little old eventually. He'd always be like kind of scoping out, you know, the next lady that he wants to try to <laughs> snatch out from under or, you. Or getting into like in public fights with Rogue and them just being like a trashy couple next to you. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it could uh, evolve into like a Pam and Tommy type of scenario there. But God. like he would probably be good. Like Gambit would be great for like a boys night, you know, or like a oh, bachelor yeah. party, something like that. Where yeah. like, yeah, because he has that like attitude where he's just always on the prowl. But it's like that works if that's what you're doing for a boys night. But to have like a one on one heart to heart, like no boyfriend's checked out. Yep, he is absolutely like that friend that we all have. And like you use friend in quotes, like maybe someone you worked with that uh, would occasionally like join you for drinks with a group of people, but you'd never want to hang out with by yourself. Yeah, that, that would be Gambit. <laughs> Safe. I, no, no, no. I like, like, I didn't like rack sa- my brain over all of these. No, 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 no. Like, like, like safe in like a good way. Like he's not going to like steal your kidneys kind of like, <laughs> safe. Like, like, like Mr. Sinister will steal your kidneys. Um, oh man, that would be a wonderful time though. I mean... I would I would maybe give up a kidney to hang out with Mr. Sinister for an evening. My God, no one has ever said that. (laughs) (laughs) Sinister is like my favorite character to read in the new era of X-Men. Like Zeb Wells's Hellions, just a delight. Excellent. Um, Our our last uh, question. uh, Are you excited to see the X-Men in the MCU? I am. Yeah, I that's another one that I kind of like branch off of for my own question to you guys but yes i am so are you are you talking spoilers to the doctor strange trailer on this podcast can we delve into that or do we want to keep it close to the best here i Um, always love talking about spoilers i'm up at four in the morning with my insomnia drinking some whiskey and on reddit (laughs) looking at all the doctor strange spoilers (laughs) i assure you so I'm not surprising you with anything in there, but there's obviously Patrick Stewart is heard in this trailer. And I heard that and I was like, well, that's kind of an interesting take on it. But frankly, I would much rather see Marvel, the MCU establish their own group of X-Men before like we already like run the old guard out in front to do a song and dance again. It's like I I know Doctor Strange is using this to just introduce like everyone and open up the entire universe, but I don't just want to see like these nostalgic characters played by actors that we've already gotten. I would rather see like a fresh take on it because that's what the Marvel universe has been up until now, where I feel like it just really kind of stops the plot cold when they just want to like wave out this old actor playing the part. And then kind of stealing any big reveal of like, oh, we're finally getting the X-Men. Now it's like, hey, remember the X-Men that we already have? You know, it kind of undercuts all the all the joy of seeing a new Professor X for the first time. If that is what uh, Patrick Stewart actually is in it. Could be so, a red herring. So I, I, I have two two mindsets of it. One. I'm okay if this is kind of like a Spider-Man No Way Home, like, hey, they're popping in just to for a cameo to say goodbye. 
mm-hmm. you know, and they're not going to stick around because I really, really, truly do want a reboot of the X-Men. I want a new Professor X. I want a new Magneto. I want them to examine what it means to be a minority or a persecuted other in mm-hmm. today's, you know, world, you know, which the MCU has done so well, especially the only example that comes to mind right now is obviously Aunt May and Peter Parker, like that relationship, how it translated so well. So yeah. I would like them to, to do something a little bit more modern with the X-Men. Secondly, Listen, there is a leaked CGI, you know, rendering of Xavier in a hover chair. I'm okay if they're going to bring them in to say, you know, here's the Illuminati from a different universe. Here's Peace Do, and he's in a hover chair. Like, I'll take that. But, mm-hmm. you know, it, it depends on what they're going to do and how they're going to execute it. But if you read any of the spoilers online, which we won't discuss, I thought we were going to go into like real spoiler territory. Like, no, I, I haven't spoiled myself as, as much as okay. you have. I'm not, I'm not going to spoil it at all. But if you've read those leaks, this trailer seems to confirm what is already out there. It doesn't seem mm. any any different in the same way that No Way Home leaks sort of were real at the time. But um, I'm, I'm good with the one off. I'm that's I think we talked about that last night, Scott, on our IG yeah. live in between cow titties and like <laughs> something else. I I'm OK with with them being a one off, but then give me a fresh, fresh reboot. Yeah. Scott, yeah, similar. Uh, no, just like like one in one and done, um, especially if it's like Xavier in like the hover chair. Uh, I know there's some like thoughts that it's not actually from the Fox movies. It's like a live action version of like the the cartoon, the animated series Savior with like the big ridiculous yellow hover chair. Oh, Uh, I didn't even hear that theory. That's great. Just do it. Do it like one and done and then like have a send off and then like there's a ton of bald actors you can find who can play uh, <laughs> Charles Xavier. Um, just a rock as Professor X. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Taking a new direction. Although as much as Professor X tears it up in this bar and the issue we're going to talk about here, I, yeah, could very well be played by the rock. I was going to say that, and that's one of my notes there. But anyways, we're going to have ourselves. <laughs> but yes, the rock can play a young Xavier. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like, I am all for, you know, seeing the original X-Men, having some kind of homage and nostalgic wonder back to the movies that we grew up with there. But I I would rather just see, like, a brand new take on it. Uh, But I do love the idea of the Illuminati because I am a huge Hickman fan, and I thought that was, like or actually no that was bendis that did illuminati uh but it carried through a lot in hickman's run so you wonder like okay are we getting namor in this and all of those guys and then is namor going to be the first mutant and then that's how they're going to really dig in with a new take on that kind of establishing it as namor being the first mutant and then branching off that rather than kind of backtracking to making him the first mutant when we've already had the x-men yeah I'm curious. And a lot of people last night were talking to us about like the MCU is in a post like House of M world where the mutants had existed, but they were decimated. I don't know. We'll see where it goes. I I'm kind of at this point, And I, again, to, to repeat last night, 
I just, we've been speculating how the X-Men are going to be introduced in the MCU for like three, four years since that Fox Disney merger. I'm just uh-huh. done speculating. Just you, you tell me, Kevin Feige, just tell me what you're going to do and let me run rampant because at this point it's anyone's guess what's going to happen. And I'm happy if it's Namor. I, I mean, Wiccan and Speed, we had Jordan D. White on the podcast last year and he, he didn't say it was official, but editorially they look at Wiccan and Speed as mutants. And mm. so obviously those kids have already appeared in WandaVision. So is Wanda searching for her children and she finds the X-Men? You know, is she going to say more mutants instead of no more mutants? Who the fuck knows? Mm-hmm. But I'm just, I, I'm sort of ready for them to just give us answers now. Like, yeah. I'm so traumatized from that San Diego where Comic-Con, where Feige was like, I didn't even get a chance to talk about the mutants yet. And like the internet literally wet its pants because they're like, Feige said the mutants, not the X-Men. And all uh-huh. this stuff. And I'm like, I'm just sick of seeing a fake logo come out every few months. Yeah. yeah. Paul, Paul, as a regular Comic-Con attendee, uh, if that's the most traumatizing thing that happens to you <laughs> at a major Comic-Con, you're doing really well. So, uh, <laughs> well, stop it. I don't cosplay like you. You guys have, like, great looks. I just show up and I'm, like, wearing a t-shirt. That's it. <laughs> I need to find your tailor, Scott. I need to find some more men's cosplay <laughs> that I can uh, that I can take part in. We'll, we'll talk. We'll talk. Um, take this offline. Yeah, right. take it offline. Since we are talking about the MCU, real quick, one of the questions I had for you is: if you did, if well, we are getting the X Men, but what uh, what era of the X Men do you think would be the best fit for the MCU right now? If you're going like traditional classic like the the first five there or like the 90s take or like the morrison it's cool to be a mutant era or like the hickman live in large era like what do you uh what do you think would fit best in the universe right now first of all i love the ghost hunter dave energy came in and flipped the interview on us so like bravo (laughs) for being like the only person who's ever flipped the interview on us like cheers to that I'm just going to take this over real quick. You guys go ahead and make yourself a drink. We respect this energy. (laughs) I know, man. Um, Scott, do you want to go first? Yeah. um, For me, it's probably the giant sized era team where you have like the original five. uh, And then you have like Storm, Nightcrawler, Colossus. um, Thunderbird. uh, Thunderbird. Wow. Thank you. Uh, RIP. He's back now. So. Uh, and, you know, Sunfire, and you get, like, the original five, but a little more diversity than the original five. And, like, you can throw in Banshee and Polaris and Havoc. They're also from that era. Um, is I think it's, like, it's different from the original five that we've seen in the Fox movies, but they're still really familiar, iconic characters, and you don't have to worry about the sort of sprawl of, like, later eras. Yeah, I'm kind of... I like that idea to start off with like the giant size X-Men. What I think like the X-Men movies did really well was incite that curiosity about the X-Men and that you you sign you kind of when you get a tour of the school, you have this wonder about it. Like I'll never forget seeing X-Men one and when they tour the school and you see all these mutants in there. It's this like beautiful wonderment you get as a viewer. So I would love them to have a lot of kids already at the school, presumably the giant size X-Men where you have Storm, Banshee, 
Thunderbird, everyone, Wolverine already in there, along with like the original 05, and let them evolve kind of like how the Avengers evolved from the first movie to Endgame. And like just have a big blowout finale with all these characters from different eras coming together, like kind of like how they did it in the animated series, like Beyond Good and Evil, and let them all interact and let it be really messy 90s stuff. And then let them reboot, not reboot, but, you know, take it in a different direction. Maybe you get like the Zaddy Leather Morrison cast, or maybe you get like a Generation X, something like that. But I think what I really want are just characters that are well flushed out, who come together and that like you can kind of connect the dots, excuse me, connect the dots in the way that you can in the MCU right now. Like I want Mystique to be Nightcrawler's mother and Rogue's foster mother. And I want the audience to put that together. And then when they all three come on screen, you have that payoff. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we're living in a pretty wonderful time right now in terms of like Marvel entertainment, where we could get all of that as like a TV series that could be like Xavier Academy. And then there's like a season of that before it becomes the X-Men, you know, like maybe it's Xavier training this group of kids amidst like a whole school full of, uh, you know, gifted students. And then like when they're ready to take it, take the stage, they become the X-Men that's the first X-Men movie. And then like we get some more kids in the show or, you know, there's a lot of different ways they could go with it. Like there's so many fucking X-Men books. There could be multiple X-Men movies and they're all just different teams. Like who knows? They're kind of, they're not running out of properties, but they're running out of like their big money properties. So like, yeah, double up on X-Men, you know, have the, the black ops team and have like the, the hero team there. Well, I I feel like what they have to do, and this is something that Fox just clearly did not do, is plan out the movies. Don't make it up as you're going along. Don't have some like greedy, like Hollywood exec being like, ooh, Ryan Reynolds as Deadpool. This movie did well. Now let's do X-Force. Now let's do a Kitty Pride movie, all this stuff. Like sit down and map it out. And I I do believe Feige can do that. The X-Men can get very messy, you need someone who's going to streamline the story. Someone like the Lee Walds and Larry Houston, who were able to take very convoluted history and turn it into a Saturday morning cartoon show, you know? And, and that's what I really hope we get out of the MCU experience, whether they, they do stuff on Disney plus or in the movies or however we're consuming content. Now I just, I have faith in them. I just want them to start doing it already. And I think the fact that they haven't done them yet properties like the Eternals are going to take a big hit because I listen, I love, I like the Eternals. I love our friend Namor cosplay who loves the Eternals a lot, but I did not need that movie. I, I wanted to go straight to Spider-Man. Now I want to go to fantastic four. Now I want to go to yeah. X-Men. I don't Eternals, need any more Eternals is the only Marvel movie to this date that I did not see in the theater. And I still have not watched it. And I'm like, I just can't, really make myself want to sit down and watch that one (laughs) and nothing against like the cast or the actors it just looked so bland to me and then all i heard was like yeah it's it's kind of nothing you know yeah i mean i will watch it eventually i have to but it's the only one that i didn't feel like i have to rush out and see this in the theater Mm -hmm. Mm. and like the fact that they are establishing this whole space universe and all that like hopefully this phase of marvel is 
you know, getting all that out of their system. So then they can bring in the X-Men and start it grounded and then maybe go into like a big old like Phoenix thing. Well, like do it properly. Like yeah. if we have the Celestials and all that. I'm literally seizing right now because yes, exactly. <laughs> well, for, yes, we need a proper Dark Phoenix saga. And I hope that's not like some internet troll is going to start like going to do like a screen rant article and be like, they did the Phoenix saga twice and it's failed. Why are we getting it a third time? Like, no, it yeah. that was not the Phoenix saga. It was not well done. But I think stories like the Phoenix saga need to marinate. And I do wonder if the reason why we're getting all of these different like versions of the characters. And we know from Loki, the timeline is broken. We know, you know, Wanda's cracking open the multiverse in Doctor Strange. Are they leaning towards something like Secret Wars where you have like Battle World that's an amalgamation of all of these different, you know, timelines and dimensions. And they'll have a big epic Secret Wars Hickman level fight and then go back to normal. And then we get the proper X-Men reboot, the proper Fantastic Four reboot, etc. I mean, that's, yeah, I think it's a possibility. That's, that's fairly convoluted, though, I think. Um, but, you know, I, like, I wouldn't have thought, though, that viewers would have dealt with, like, Mobius and the TVA and multiple timelines and Kang and stuff. But, um, so maybe I, I don't have enough faith in non-comic fans, but... Um, like, people surprisingly can follow along. And, and I agree with you, Scott, because I'm like, oh, the TVA and multiple timelines and different variants. Like that's hard. Those are high, hard sci-fi elements for us to digest, even as like seasoned readers and viewers. How do we, ex- and we're still not knowing what they're doing. How do we expect people who don't know the difference between Batman and Iron Man to know the, di- you know, to know the difference? Yeah. But then you see something so well received as Loki, and you're like, "Oh, maybe I'm not that special. Maybe, <laughs> maybe anyone can enjoy this." Exactly. All right. <laughs> That's true. It's true. 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 Uh, do you have any more questions for us, Ghost Hunter Dave? Um, I do, but I don't know if I should save it for the end or if we should get into the book. Like we're coming up on the hour here. I, yeah. I'm going to defer yeah. to you on what do you think would be best. Yeah, why don't we dive into the book here, and then you can ask more questions at the end. All right, so we are reading Uncanny X-Men 321, entitled Auld Lang Syne, which is a phrase that signifies bidding goodbye to the year before. It's used in New Year's Eve, funerals, and graduation. And this issue is written by Scott Labdell with dialogue by Mark Wade and Ron Garney did the pencils for it. We pick up with Charles and Eric discussing things about homo superior existing and how humans will have to learn to live in harmony with them. And Eric isn't really buying that, but they agree that together as friends, they can have humans and homo superior coexist together but then at the other end of the bar there's a veteran with no legs who's playing the flute and is asking for money but uh the patrons seem to be mocking him calling him a gimp and eric is like no 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 like charles don't interfere our fairy is gonna get here and we have our medical supplies that we need to take back to the hospital but Charles isn't really having that. And so when this big dude pours like beer on the veteran, Xavier literally grabs him by the wrist and slams him on the bar table. 
And then a bar wide brawl ensues and Eric and Charles come together and are victorious. And Eric says he's impressed with Charles saying that any dream worth having is a dream worth fighting for. And they leave the bar in harmony. So if I, if I can say right off the bat, I love that on the first page of this book that I just picked up with no context, the first thing is a call out that says X fans with this issue, you must read cable number 20. (laughs) (laughs) And I saw that and I was like, all right, off to a great start. <laughs> let's yeah. let's power through. Uh, but luckily for me, I've uh, I've read an X Men or two in my in my background. So we get Charles and Magneto pounding vodka in a bar in Israel, and they are having that one conversation that they have, <laughs> the only conversation that Charles and Eric have. So I was like, okay, I'm I'm pretty much up to speed on this. And uh, yeah, and then they can, they proceed to just kick ass in this bar. Uh, Charles is essentially the Terminator, just breaking chairs over his arm as people are trying to smash them on him. Or the and, Rock. Yeah, or the Rock. Yeah. Yep. And uh, it was a lot of fun. You don't normally get to see Xavier in this light. And I don't, is this an alternate version of xavier this is a past story right yeah maybe someone give me some context on this (laughs) yeah so what happened was legion his son woke up from a coma and was like i'm gonna get my dad's uh dream of mutants and humans coexisting a chance to come to fruition so i'm gonna go into the past and murder his arch nemesis which is magneto Mm -hmm. so Legion arrived in the past and he has amnesia along with the four other X-Men that are there. And uh, this is Charles and Eric looking the same as they do in the present, except they're supposed to be 20 years younger. I think that's about it. Right, Scott? Yeah. They're uh, probably supposed to be in their 30, early thirties. So I guess, yeah, Savior. I think Magneto refers to him knowing uh, Eastern martial arts or something. Um, I believe I wrote down the quote because it caught me off guard. He says, "My friend learned to fight in the Orient." There you go. <laughs> oh, I saw that too. It's so weird. And but then this... he says, "But he's a gentleman. Sadly for you, I'm not as cultured." And then he <laughs> proceeds to just wreck him. So the last issue ended with. Xavier and Magneto walking in on Legion and his like body erupting in flames. And that is how Legion also gets his memories back. So I'm kind of confused. I was kind of confused by this opening like dialogue because they're talking about does homo superior exist? They both know they themselves are mutants and they just saw a mutant manifest their powers. So I don't know why they're beating around the bush still with this and it it almost feels like the last issue was so incredibly inconsequential because we're seeing the same dialogue and the same situation like reappear here so i was kind of like i why weren't they just like hey man that like joe doe patient of ours burst out into flames you think humans really exist by the way i can read your mind and i can manipulate metal like like why aren't they saying the obvious yeah that was kind of weird can you do anything yeah like you do anything like that I just like move that fork with your mind. (laughs) (laughs) I just don't like, I don't get it. And like, listen, I get it. They they've had one, two, three, seven shots of vodka, like absolute vodka at that. Like 
at this point, like, why aren't they being sloppy drunk and being like, guess what I can do? You know what I mean? Like, uh, I mean, Char- Charles learned to hold his alcohol in the Orient. So <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah. It is training. Um, I, I, one of the things I did actually know with that is it is a callback to the fact that Xavier originally served in the Korean War with his brother, uh, Juggernaut, um, because Juggernaut, fun fact, comics fans, was empowered in a North Korean in North Korea. So um, I didn't know all, that. Okay. Yeah, so the, it all holds the, up. The, the the temple the temple of Ciderac with the red bands is in North Korea. Um, okay, yeah, there you go. Um, when, the other thing I wanted to note as well that I thought was interesting that Xavier is the one standing up for the veteran in this scene, and Magneto is a pacifist who's like, "Let's go." So if you actually put the veteran in as like symbolic of otherness, mutants, someone's being persecuted, their roles are reversed. Like Xavier is the one who wants to go out and fight and like literally cause like shit to burn down while Magneto's the one's like, no, let's 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 walk away from this. Come on. And of course they would be reversed later on. Well, it's life. it's it's also foreshadowing to Xavier being crippled. Um, oh yeah, that too. And a, yeah. Um, and in a wheelchair um, later on. And, you know, I, I don't like the word gimp. And, you know, that's sort of the jokes that get thrown at Xavier where people underestimate him as a wheelchair and all that sort of foreshadowing. Um, I, when I first read this, the big guy pouring the beer on the veteran for a sec, I was like, is that supposed to be blob? I thought I so like, too. Like, yeah. I did too. <laughs> They've got that one fat guy character model. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like happy trail, like right there. It's so yeah. disgusting. Yeah. Like the art, like this that entire was a choice. Yeah, yeah, it was a fucking choice right there, Ron Garney. Like so, a total choice. I also had a couple kind of questions about the art in this. One, am I just really like historically and culturally inept, but why were all of the people in Israel like blonde and white? Yes, I agree. I, I thought that too. I was like, there's there's no people of color in this bar. They're all like white guys. Uh, it, if Depending on when it's supposed to be set, um, it might be a bar that's heavily, because th- there was a lot of separation in Israel between uh, Ashkenazi Jews and Sephardic and Mizrahi Jews from the Middle East. So this might be like a more European kind of bar, okay. but but we might also be giving the Marvel um, <laughs> Marvel too much credit, and they might have just drawn only white guys. Like, I guess that's better than drawing like really offensive caricatures of you know someone over on there. So I guess like yeah. okay, that's I guess that's all right. We'll give them the benefit of the doubt there that that was an intentional choice. The other thing I wanted to note, too, was how Xavier was using his powers in the scene. Like, he could have just done this and everyone go to sleep, but he, like, wanted to predict people's moves on that. I thought it was interesting because then also Magneto doesn't really use his powers in this. He just used, like, a broken beer bottle and his fists. So, again, we're, we're seeing Xavier using being a little bit more Magneto-like. But I was like, if you really wanted to draw the point or just, like, drill it to us like he can just like go like this and everyone like passes out and you know magneto be like hey that was weird but 
you know, I, I appreciate that they're trying to elucidate those parallels between them, how they are now. Yeah, I think Xavier was out for blood there. Like yeah, he was offended yeah. and was like, he wanted to just kind of work off some aggression on these people <laughs> that deserved it. Like they didn't deserve a nap. They deserved <laughs> a knockout. They needed a knockout. Yeah. And the only other thing I to bring up too was that um, the any dream worth fighting for, it's sort of like an overarching theme in Legion Quest, this idea of dreams. Even when we first started our Reed Scott X-Men number 38, I believe, like Xavier's pondering, was his dream worth it? Will it ever come to fruition that mutants and humans would coexist? So I really do appreciate a lot of the deep symbolism working in this scene. I just think it's redundant at this point. Like, this issue for me feels largely inconsequential as we go through it a little bit more, but I appreciate that they were able to give some well thought out meaning to these, to these characters and their intent. Yeah, and, and, and you get to see, as we were just talking about, uh, Charles live out his uh, Patrick Swayze roadhouse uh, <laughs> sort of fantasies and um, you know, good for Chuck. So back in the present, Gene, Cable, Xavier, and Beast have come up with a plan to tap into Cable's latent time-traveling powers. Apparently, the Shi'ar, who are nowhere around, created a construct that would allow Gene to hold Cable's body together telekinetically while Charles jumpstarts his latent time-traveling abilities and allow Cable to project into the past. Rogue and Gambit uh, just sit back and watch while Archangel vows to never lose Betsy. Cyclops says he's worried and Jean looks at him saying, shocking, now give me a kiss. And then Beast fires up the machine and boom, looks like it works. First, I have to commend Gambit for wearing a uh, trench coat on top of armor in the high negative desert. Um, because that that's, you know, that that is dedication to style. Um, I mean, like, like we were talking about with Beast, um, I, I actually found Beast super irritating in this whole scene where he's questioning the Shi'ar who built this machine about whether it's like working. And I'm just like, I'm sorry, Hank, did you build a machine? Did you build a time travel consciousness projection machine? No, shut the F up. Like, I... Here's the thing, like, why aren't the Shi'ar here and their legion of watchers? So in, like, the last issue, Lalandra shows up with her floral language being like, Charles, my love, I'm sorry to be so dramatic, but the universe is at stake. And here's a whole council of watchers behind me. So then they just built this clunky machine in, like, what, an hour? And they're like, all right, peace. Like, they're like, yeah, we've seen it. We've seen like, it. No, like, we've we seen know it. how it like, goes. Like, we trust <laughs> you. Goodbye. I mean, it it's like, either going to work or it's going to blow up. Like, what? you guys figure it out. And like, we'll be over here. this was so like, why not just use the watchers and nebulous Shi'ar technology to send everyone to the past to have some like big war to stop Legion? I just feel like this was like over explaining stuff, which, by the way, I don't know if you guys knew this. I, for, I it's not that I forgot. I just don't think I ever digested that cable has latent time traveling powers. I always thought he just used like Gray Malkin or his machines to time travel. I didn't know it was a mutant ability. I read this issue and that's still news to me <laughs> right yeah. there. I'm like, oh, okay. And I will forget it as soon as this conversation is over. <laughs> yeah. I thought like his his other power that you didn't really think about was like his telekinesis that kept yeah. like the the virus at bay. I didn't 
he is just like he's powered up. He's got everything, a little bit of everything. I, I, I think they use like the, the bullshit excuse that uh his powers are suppressed because of the um the virus. So yeah. this might just be like, oh, it, you know, it's it's like Superman in like the 50s or 60s, where it's just like, oh yeah, he can shoot like rainbows out of his fingers. It's like, okay. <laughs> and it's never mentioned again in the next issue. God, I would love to see Grant Morrison do a modern Superman story where he does like shoot rainbows out of his fingers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> just like, you know what? He can do all these things. He could do it in the 50s. Yeah. And then just like make it work. It's like it's he just canon. hasn't been doing it. Yeah. <sighs> So it is actually mentioned on Dr. Wikipedia here that it's mentioned in Legion Quest only, but it doesn't seem like it's ever followed up on ever again. So there you go. Uh, (laughs) It's exclusive to just this story right now. But I was like so thrown off by that. But I agree with what you guys said. It's probably just the writers being like, hey, he has nebulous powers, whatever. And like, that's it. It's a plot that will absolutely go nowhere. But um, I, you know what I really liked about, I love, that Warren, speaking of your favorite character, mm-hmm. is really like into his relationship with Betsy. He really cares about her and doesn't want anything to happen to her. Yeah, I uh, having not read a ton of X-Men from that era, I didn't realize that he and Betsy had this relationship like all the way back then. Because having read Dark Angel Saga, it was like, oh, okay, they have obviously this this partnership that's gone back for quite a while. I didn't know it was like way back to like the nineties and everything. Well, so so cool. It just happened like in this read, it just happens in Legion quest, like a couple issues before (laughs) they just, yeah, they just start dating. Like this is them at the beginning and they have a scene and Scott, I love the scene, which is, they're like kind of mocking all of the relationships in their life. They're like, oh no, you're going to die and your clone is going to come back. And we're, you know, gas, we'll lose each other. And they're like, no, but this is real. You know, whatever happens, we're real. And like now Warren is confronted with a very convoluted X-Men situation where he could lose Betsy. And he's here like, I'm getting her back. And I just thought it was really tender that they could be funny yet romantic. To go back to that scene, though, it's like this is a man who is the angel of death (laughs) talking to his girlfriend whose mind is in the body of a Japanese assassin. So like... (laughs) You know, like, Warren, you got to step back at some point and just, like, appreciate it. You're coming on a little strong, actually, Warren. You just met her. <laughs> like, seriously, relax. But um, in, in terms of other couples, too, um, I'm disappointed in Rogue and Gambit in this. I thought, I half expected them to be like, I don't know what the fuck is going on, but the world's ending. Why don't we get a mutant collar and go off and fuck? You know, like, I thought, like, they would totally do something like that instead of just standing there and like regurgitating the plot for for us who didn't get it the first time around yeah it didn't seem like there was a whole lot of reason for gambit and road to be there like yeah. they could just be at a bar <laughs> a rodeo you know whatever they're I in the desert somewhere but like them just being like eh, i don't know what this machine is our color id looks a lot more fancy than this <laughs> like we're just gonna go fuck our brains out and the world may end or not and like we don't care we're, we're gonna go. We're gonna go look for Betsy on the beach in Tel Aviv. And just, <laughs> yeah, like... yeah. <laughs> but it was. It was. A, yeah. I mean, listen. They. They. The stakes are high. I appreciate that. I think in terms of plotting, it's. It's pretty good. So. So 
Back in the past, Storm, Betsy, Bishop, and Bobby are working at the docks trying to regain their memories while Xavier and Eric arrive. And they mention that Gabby, who is Legion's mom, is Charles's only shot at happiness. And Xavier also mentions that in the future, he would like to be a professor. And Eric thinks that's funny. Ha, 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 ha. But then suddenly, Xavier senses that Gabby is in danger and they go run to her. As they leave, Cable appears before Bishop, Storm, and Betsy and Iceman, warning them of Legion. And Storm's like, we have no clue who this guy is. Let's prepare for an attack. But he imbues them with their memories. That is a classic X-Men situation there where they're like, who's this? I don't know. Let's fight him. <laughs> I know. I feel like the X-Men are always quick to be angry. But yeah. Here's the yeah. inherent problem with this plan, though. The, the, the X-Men who are in the present seem to assume that the X-Men who got stuck in the past lost their memories. It's like, yes. right? Because they're like, we're going to send Cable back to tell them they need to thwart Legion's plan. Like, wouldn't you assume that they're already aware of that? Like, they somehow have deduced that the X-Men of the past have amnesia. Well, lucky for them, they do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Through happenstance, it all works out. But I really wish that I really wish what would have happened here was that they would have played like the X-Men of the past would have played some kind of role with Xavier and Xavier's memory would have been unlocked. And he would have been like, oh, I know something. I know where they are because I seem to have this memory, blah, 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 or something like that. But um, one thing to note, though, that I think is really interesting is that Betsy is trying to reignite their memories and she can't, but Cable comes in and he's able to do Cable's astral form comes in and is able to do it. So canonically speaking, Cable is more powerful than Betsy, even with the techno-organic virus. And I would have never thought that. I never would have thought just that, let, especially for Betsy. Just let that virus creep up a little bit, Cable. Just unlock your potential. See what you can bring to the table. If you just let your guard down just a hair. Well, I, I also love they're all comfortable with having these powers and like they're all sort of aware that they're like something, but like they're also not like overly concerned. The fact that like Bobby can just turn into a man made of like solid ice and they're just sort of like, OK, yeah, cool. We're we're here. Yeah, um, I uh, I love that moment where Bobby and Bishop are just like posing as dock workers. And then when they're done with their shift, Bobby's like ah, what a relief to get out of those work clothes. And then he just apparently gets naked and ices up completely. <laughs> it's like, okay. My, my, my note was that Bobby is that guy who comes home from work and just takes his pants off as soon as he gets in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, oh, another hard day at the office. I'm going to take these off and just turn to ice. Okay, but can we talk about how Iceman looks like the bounty man, like here with that facial hair and those beautiful eyebrows? Well, this, this, this continues our long-running discussion, though, of Bobby is the most inconsistently drawn X-Men of this era. Like, the issue that we read last time, he's, like, a blonde, like, twink, and now he's the brawny man. And then, like, in the next issue, just, like, like settle on an art style, Marvel. Yeah, he just looks real, like, the facial hair and everything, like, it's just next level. Yeah, I, I mean, if I were to picture, like, the quintessential Iceman, I would just picture, like, a skinny blonde dude. Like, yeah. any one of us, essentially, with blonde hair. It's like, that's Iceman. That's his personality. That is just how he should look. 
Like, he's not a big, buff, bearded guy. Like, that's not Iceman. What are you doing? Yeah, I know. He's supposed to be a, a skinny, chaotic twink who, like, can't control his yeah. powers. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I have a question. Having only read this issue, <laughs> how did these four X-Men get transported to the past? Did they willingly go after Legion, or were they, like, sucked into a wormhole? Uh, sort of both. Uh, they went after Legion, and Legion was just like, all right, assholes, I'm going back in time. And they got pulled in, and Gene got thrown out of the uh, the Tempest or whatever. <laughs> Legion was like, I don't want that drama, Gene. Like, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> because yeah. we've questioned it. Why wasn't Gene sucked in there? You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't make any sense that she would. I mean, maybe she was just more powerful enough to evade him. But, like, why wasn't she there? But, no, they went up against Legion, and everyone got sucked in but Gene. And I guess... Okay. Le- Do you Legion- think he could have actively, like, kept her out? Yeah. I mean, he's, again, like, yeah. he's here, like, I don't want that fucking yeah. high drama. Gene, get the fuck yeah. out of here, you know? <laughs> yeah. um, but, like, I I guess, like, what we spo- were supposed to take away is that Legion took them in. He doesn't have a good grasp on these powers, which are new for him. And it caused amnesia for everyone in, up until last issue, including himself as well. And this issue, he, as we are about to discuss, has a good memory of who he is and um, is out for vengeance. Okay. I have a follow-up question. How long has Legion been established at this point? Is he a fairly new character or does he have like a decade of continuity? A decade at this point. Uh, he first, yeah, he first pops up in the mid eighties. So he's, he's, but he's only had a handful of appearances. Most of the time he's, he's comatose. Okay. So this was like his big shining moment here. We're like, we're going to do something with Legion. He kills in the late eighties. He fights the brotherhood. I forget who exactly the Reavers. Reavers. Uh, and he kills, uh, destiny. Um, Oh, okay. He's the reason Destiny is basically gone from 87, 88 until uh, Krakoa. Um, Really? Okay, I didn't know that. Yeah, she's been gone for almost 30 years, and it sets Mystique after him. And when Legion Quest starts, it's just like, there's a whole issue that we read that was just Mystique trying to kill a man who was in a coma and just like failing to do so and um dave she literally cannot kill this deadly assassin (laughs) it sounds like a mr magoo type of scenario there someone (laughs) who is in a coma she and she keeps going like i'm gonna do it i'm gonna do it and like gives him time to react it's like mystique you are like useless like (laughs) she finally she finally gets there into the hospital room and is like gonna do it and he's just like oh surprise it was a fake coma and then just like (laughs) (laughs) i've been waiting for you and like and he's here like because legion is having visions of destiny so he says something like oh she told me you would appear he's never like hey i just got a vision of your wife here's some kind of message for you like no he's just like he's here like you're trying to kill me why and then just like runs off and like i forgot you know he did give a cryptic message to raven that that destiny had sent her but he doesn't even say it's from destiny and it's something that's like really inconsequential i'm forgetting what it was but it's in our earlier episodes okay another sidebar real quick and then we'll get back to the story no 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 no, go go we're we're mystique and destiny uh in a relationship at this point in the 90s 
Yes, I, I think wow. it, it's, it wasn't Good overtly. That. That's it wasn't progressive. It wasn't overtly stated, but it is. They, they use that. My friend, she was my friend. She was my best oh. friend. I can't picture my life without her sort of deal. It's okay. heavily implied yeah. that they're in a relationship. All right. Interesting. So then they just kind of took that and ran with it. We're like, well, obviously these writers were, yeah. you know, signaling yeah. this. So, yeah. But nice. it becomes it comes it becomes problem it, it becomes a problem to piece later on because Mystique obviously has an affair with Nightcrawler's father, Azazel. Oh yeah, and you know so it's not it wasn't always well respected as it is in today's Krakoan age. They've really leaned into it, but yes, the the idea that they were in a relationship has always been present with these characters. All right, cool. All right. All right, so this is why Xavier sensed that Gabby was in danger, and it's one of the most infamous scenes in X-Men history. It won't be touched upon ever again, but let's give a fair warning for folks listening that we're about to discuss something that includes sexual assault. Gabby is at the hospital garden when Legion appears. He says, mother, and when she looks up, Legion has disguised himself as Xavier. He then proceeds to grope her and tells her not to call him Charles tonight. And the panel ends with them going on the floor. When Xavier and Eric arrive at the garden, Gabby is on the floor. Her clothes are torn and mascara is running with Legion angrily hovering over them, saying that Eric will die tonight. Yeah. Why did you ask me to be on this <laughs> issue, Paul? <laughs> so I literally messaged Scott this morning because I had just read the issue. I'm like, oh shit, this is the big scene like of Legion Quest that fans have talked about for such a long time. So I No, this is exactly the type of thing that we would do on our show. So that you actually <laughs> you made the right choice. <laughs> Something that's so off-puttingly weird. It's so weird. So I so back in like the 90s when I first like read this and I was on like the message boards, the implication was back then, and I cannot find any proof of it on the internet, but people were saying that Legion impregnated Gabby with himself. That was sort of the takeaway they got from this scene. I don't know. There's no proof of that, especially since later on when Xavier dies, Legion disappears. But like, does Gabby just die later on because it's a whole new timeline? You know, does a baby Legion get born but gets killed when Apocalypse rises because the telepaths are uh, a minute? I don't know. I don't think there's any theory, but this was like such a fucking weird scene. I'm glad that there has uh, been a big like uproar about this, because as I was reading it, I was like, am I reading way too much into this (laughs) because it seems very obvious on surface level but like have i just read enough weird shit that i'm like well of course he's having sex with his mother here (laughs) like yeah yeah he goes he goes full oedipus rex and um there's the connection just legion with like the super saiyan hair coming into the garden and like i rereading it um like i i knew i've read this before i knew that this was coming on one level and i still got to it and was just like oh i need to take like a shower after um reading this and then yeah like 
the, the X-Men love a weird predestination is this character his own father grandfather thing um shatterstar long shot dazzler they yeah. they just love those listen like at least with shatterstar and long shot and dazzler there's something there that they're they're trying to say i think like my main qualm here is that they're using time travel and the idea of the self to try to say a message but I don't know what message they're trying to say other than like they want to be weird. And like, you know, like so sometime during the off panel, like Gabby kind of got like wind that this isn't Xavier and he forced himself on her. And it was just like a really upsetting like way to end this issue. I don't know. I, I was so young when I read it. I don't know what like the general vibe for it was, but I was just like. Uh, okay and then he's here like now you'll die tonight eric and he looks like a demon like i'm just what are they trying to say about legion like is he just really this far gone in madness that he's raping his own mom ah i don't know yeah it's one of those situations where if you're telling the story that this character is his own father that's one thing but then when you have to actually show that it becomes a completely different book entirely and it's like okay, maybe, maybe we shouldn't have got that deep into the weeds on it. (laughs) Maybe we just leave it like hypothetical. But again, Um, like they don't even try to answer that because again, in the next following issue, Legion will disappear with everyone else after he kills Xavier. So the implication being that he did not impregnate his mom. It's so weird to say out loud. I feel like I always talk about this on like the message boards, but actually being on a podcast and having to discuss it, you know, public facing. It's so weird to just say out loud. Well, I'm glad I can be here for it. You're welcome. But, uh, <laughs> Hunter Dave for being here. <laughs> Thank you for being here. You bet. Um, this this just struck me, and I, I hate to say this, but this just reminded me of something because my wife and I have two kids, mm-hmm. and I refer to my wife as mama sometimes because we have kids. So we're like, oh, mama's in the other room. Yeah. And then every once in a while, that like mama or mom like slips into just like having a conversation with my wife. And it is so off-putting that we both just like stop like a deer in headlights where she's like, you can't call me that (laughs) in this context. And that's how it felt to read this issue here. And it's so creepy because like he starts out as Legion and then he morphs into Charles And then he refers to himself as Charles a lot. Like every sentence he refers to himself in the third person as Charles. And then like when he finally maybe has her kind of like won over, she calls him Charles and he's like, "Mm, don't call me Charles. That is the creepiest line ever where he's like, don't call me Charles. And I'm like, Like, what should he fucking call you then, Legion? (laughs) Yeah, like th- like Legion, this is your big problem with the situation is that she's calling you by the name of your father. Like, that's your big issue here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It was, you know, it's one of those things that I think what you guys said, like, it's really true. Like, in theory, like, when you're plotting out the story that, like, oh, he's going to become his own, you know, dad, that's really interesting and existential. But, like, actual execution it has an entirely different message that's being sent out there and i wonder if editorially they were like uh you know what we're just gonna abandon this and pretend it never happened because i don't think scott you can correct me does this get referred to ever again 
No, uh, they did not want to touch this with a ten-foot uh, mutant pole. And, um, <laughs> this is never like it, it's firmly established that Charles is Legion's um, dad, uh, father. Yeah, yeah. Because even in the Krakoan age, they have never even touched upon this. So, yeah. Can you imagine if social media was? The alive at the time this published, this thing would just get blacklisted. I mean, it essentially is already, but right off the bat, there would be no downtime between this publishing. You'd hear about it like a week before it published. Like new X-Men involves like uh raping one's mother. Right. But it's like not even like, you know what I mean? Like I I'm all for from a narrative perspective, taking very hard situations, but allowing a reader to have a takeaway from it, like some kind of thematic or moral conclusion. Like, I don't know, don't go to the past and rape your own mom, you know, kind of deal here. It just seems that there's no consequences. There's no, I don't understand what kind of message they're trying to say here. Again, the only thing that he impregnates his mother with himself, but again, it goes nowhere. It's just, it's so poorly done. It's icky. It's gross. And yeah, it would never fly in today's world. It's just, oh, yeah. Yeah. And there's nothing about the art style that uh, alludes to anything differently than what we've taken away from it. Oh, I agree. You're looking at it and you're like, yeah, that's what they're doing. And reading the text too, you're like, yeah, they weren't shy about it. You know, they could have like tiptoed around it a little bit more if they really wanted to, but it's pretty much front and center like oh yeah this is what's going down here and she's well, not into it and and that's what like in melrose place like back in the 90s like that's how they would depict sex on televisions like they lay down and then it, it <laughs> yeah. pans out to like the window yeah. or something like that yeah. so it's following how sex was rendered in the 90s you know um so they were pre- pretty overt with it i don't know listen uh impregnating your mom spoon feeding your dad baby food like it is a fucked up era of act and people have an issue with the thruple in today's world like the thruple that is the healthiest thing the x-men have done in decades (laughs) at least like the the shatterstar long shot thing kind of gets played almost for laughs like like it's philip j fry from futurama kind of thing where he is his own grandfather just by like the paradox and it's almost just like oh my god how did that happen but this has like a whole extra just sort of like yeah, you know, yeah. sexual assault angle just uh this and there's no a, way uh, this was through a roman polanski lens oh, of, uh, <laughs> portraying this oh man well um so i guess that's the issue i i'm gonna say it i did not like this issue at all I'm sorry, Ghost Hunter Dave, that you had to be on an issue that I'm like, I, I hate. Because I don't think I've ever actually said I don't like an issue until now. And it's just because in a general sense, I think it's a needless issue. I don't think it follows up on anything they've established. Because that last issue with the Watchers all there and Lalandra, I'm like, shit is going to go down. I'm like, and I was like, oh, I forgot. How do they play a role in Legion Quest? The answer is they don't. They are forgotten about. That's it. And I just felt like this issue was just kind of like, putting around like for the finale so i don't know i i just thought it was largely inconsequential and and it was gross on top of that two questions for you though mm-hmm. have you ever seen xavier kick ass in a fist fight before 
Have I ever? No, I guess I can't no. say that I have. So, okay, fine. In that regard, it was worth it. Have you ever seen a mutant sleep with his own mother before? <laughs> <laughs> well, does uh, Nate Gray and Madeline Pryor... <laughs> but does Nate Gray having a relationship with Madeline Pryor count? Hmm. <laughs> Although I would uh, argue yes. Mad- Nate Gray is an alternate version of Cable, but they're not supposed to be counterparts. And Madeline Pryor that he meets up with is a clone of his mom who died, but is a psychic construct of her. This this is another long running debate on the show. Paul, it's the same DNA. (laughs) (laughs) But but she doesn't have DNA because she's a psychic construct. She does have DNA. She's she's a clone. No, but she's uh, dead. It's a psychic echo of Madeline well, Pryor. Well, that's even Madeline. more. That's even more messed up. Then. <laughs> like... All right, fine. Listen, I've learned not to argue with Scott anymore. So pick your battles, man. <laughs> uh, just jumping into a random X Men issue. Mm-hmm. It had it all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it had Magneto and Charles doing their usual thing. Had a bar fight had the X-Men doing some kind of weird time travel mumbo jumbo and it had a really screwed up family tree. And I mean, that's X-Men. So take it or leave it. I, you know what? I agree with you. I think on the surface, if we, if we didn't have to hyper analyze this, I would be like, it was, it was emblematic of the X-Men at the time. It it is a good cultural sample for the X-Men. Agreed. I I wouldn't say I enjoyed it, but I, (laughs) I read it and I was like, I was just happy to only read one issue for something. You know how many how many fucking trades we binge for the show on a regular basis? I'm like, one issue? Oh my god, I can do that on the toilet. And I did. <laughs> <laughs> yes, go hunt, go so, to Dave, slay that toilet. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, had a lot of fun, despite the many problematic moments with it, of which there were several. But, uh, you know, it makes for interesting discussion, at least. It wasn't boring. It wasn't say, a boring uh, issue. Fine. It's, Fair it's enough. If we want to give it some kind of accolade. <laughs> but I, I did actually have some parting questions for you. And yeah, I'm just going to toss them out here. And this might be something that you've answered or uh, hypothesized many times. But I'm curious, if you were in charge of X-Men, you were just handed the keys to the kingdom, and you could write an X-Men series, an arc, anything, what would be like the ballpark pitch for that? Like what type, what era, what type, what style of X-Men would your X-Men story be? Would it be like a space thing? Would it be like the, the hated and feared thing? Would it be them living it up in Krakoa? Like what would, what would your ideal X-Men story that you would personally want to tell involve? I already know. Scott, do you do you want to go first or uh no give me a stuff? You go first. Okay. So I love the idea of Krakoa. I love the idea that these persecuted minorities were like, fuck this. We are not going to stand for this government legislation that's constantly trying to enslave us. We're going to make our own fucking island and we're going to establish ourselves as the most powerful, you know, world power in the world. And, you know, we have these mutant drugs that are able to help humanity. And in the past, we would have given them to you guys for free, but because you guys have been dicks to us and in every dystopian future enslave us, we're going to actually use these as political tools. I would lean into that. 
I think what they've done in Krakoa right now, they've established that the X-Men as a nation have a lot of contentious relationships with like the UK, Wakanda, the United States. We saw with um, Moira in the 10 lives of Wolverine. She can't even get the human drugs anymore. I would love to see a World War X situation that literally that all nations go to war with Krakoa and Krakoa has to come together. And I want to explore the idea of what is it like to be a persecuted minority having your own country now? And what does that mean in terms of nationalism? Especially like, you know, if you take the mutant metaphor for what it is right now that like, in my case, I identify as a gay man, but I have, you know, hetero, you know, family members, I wouldn't want to be disconnected from them and then go into, you know, another nation and never sort of have a relationship with them. I would love for to see like the youth of today sort of confronting those ideas. And I think the Krakoan age has sort of planted those seeds, but they sort of get away with a little bit more zanier plots that are a little bit more over the top than I would like. So I would absolutely do a 110% Krakoan story, but lean into more like IRL, like symbolism, which is what I think make the X-Men very special. Yeah, I think Art. that's an excellent answer. That that sounds like you've, you've had this in the holster for a while there. That's because no one has ever asked me until you. That is why you are perfect at my internet crush. No one has asked that. Are you kidding me? I'm pretty sure if someone has, but it wasn't you. So like, <laughs> All right. I didn't pay them yeah, any mind. Same old. Yep. Another of your, your favorite uh, internet crushes asked you that one. I know. I probably have said that to <laughs> Zeb Wells. Exactly. So I'm sorry. Don't ever listen to that interview with Zeb Wells where I basically yeah. asked Zeb Wells out on a date. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> no, that is, that's an excellent take. Uh, no pun intended. But that <laughs> seems like the perfect way for this to go, especially if maybe like Hickman is still spearheading a lot of the big events. I would love to see the X-Men not turn into villains, but just be like at odds with the rest of the Marvel universe because of everything that they've had dealt on them. And it eventually becomes like this them versus us type of scenario, because that's what it seems like right now. That seems like that's where it's leading. Emma Frost said this in civil war and it framed the way that mutants are positioned in the world for me again, because I just read it at a very impressionable age where she looks at Tony Stark and she's here like, Oh, you're upset about Connecticut. Like, where were you when our babies were burning in Genosha? Like shut the fuck up. We are not dealing with these human politics. I think that's a really interesting angle. And I think the average X readers, as we have seen today are we're, we're very intelligent. We'd like to like dive deep into the symbolism here. I feel some of the stories with Prakoa right now are on the surface level stories where they're more action. And I think what makes X-Men a very special brand and why it's been so successful is because of these under tides of, you know, the symbolism with minority and what does it mean to be a minority in whatever era, you know, you're reading these books. So I would just lean into that a little bit more because right now the X-Men read, to me more like in humans like they might as well be on the moon they might as well just be this weird society with these weird cultural ticks which is fine but i still they were people in a society before who were persecuted and i'm curious of their mindsets with that but yeah and there's definitely like that inkling of it being very resonant right now culturally mm-hmm. like maybe more so than it's ever been and it's just like just take that next step and really go all in Real on it in. 
that well, I want to see them do because like that's when the X-Men are the most approachable to me is when they are like they're obvious stand-ins for persecuted people in real life not like when they're in space like that's kind of when I check out of X-Men but like if it's something that I can relate to and be like oh yeah that makes total sense like I, I want to join the X-Men you know yeah. like that's when you get people on board and tell like the most heartfelt stories but what I was so excited about with like the Krokoan age for example is you know, what does it mean to to be a mutant woman in an era of Me Too when the the guy who cloned you, made a clone uh, uh, of you, sent her off to get married, have a baby, is sitting on a council with you? And how do you forgive something like that? You know what I mean? In Jim's yeah. case, I just I, I wish they would lean into more of those like deeper conversations. And, you know, listen. The X-Men are doing so well right now that like anything I'm saying is just being an angry fanboy. Um, but like, you? yeah, no. me, no, never. <laughs> and, and yeah, that's it. But Scott, what would you do? See, it's, it's hard. Like uh, one of the books I really look forward to and that was kind of disappointed by was Way of X. And um, because it was sort of promised as an exploration of like the spiritual angle of Krakoa and it didn't entirely pan out for me um, with just Kurt, you know, examining the laws and whatever. Uh, one of my favorite sort of villain, I was say B-list, but he's, he's an A-list villain um, for the X-Men was Exodus, who now sits on the council and was a crusader. He was a religious, he was a grail knight, he was a crusader, um, and he's one of the most fervent believers in Krakoa. And the, the idea, you see him preaching to the children about Wanda as the pretender and everything. Um, I would do a Way of X kind of book, but focusing on the sort of more militant uh, Krakoans and people who have really drank from the Kool-Aid, but in sort of a, um, this is a sacred land, this is a sacred ideal, but not sort of the positive way that Kurt kind of... Um, looked at as sort of the darker side of faith in Krakoa. But you know what pissed me off about Way of X? And and we we spoke to Cy Spurrier last year, and I said, what you, faith and religion. And he was here like, no, this isn't a faith and religious religion book. It's, it's a it's, book about culture. And I was like, oh, okay. But like, Kurt is a mutant. Like, I would love to see Kirk, Kirk establish a mutant yeah. faith and, and the complications that come with it. And especially when you contrast that with someone like Exodus who is this traditionally militant religious figure who will have ideas of what a mutant faith should look like and the consequences that has on individuals, especially in a post-death society. And it's, I don't, I agree. I, I wish I wanted a little bit more out of way of X. Yeah. I was in the exact same boat. I was really looking forward to that, especially off the issue of the crucible where we first kind of like mm. dropped those ideas yeah. where I was like, yeah. Oh shit, there's going to be a mini series exploring that. And like, it wasn't that at all, <laughs> like not well, at all. Well, 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 here's the thing. Kurt is a character who's governed by compassion and goodwill. And you're going to tell me that people who were depowered against their will now have to fight in a crucible, have to die and need to be resurrected with their, that seems really savage for people who are victims. Like they yeah. need to prove that they're mutants. Yeah. Don't get, I'm not criticizing the story plot. I think that's interesting, but don't, 
pick don't don't drop it you know what i mean like i think it's really right. interesting that someone has to prove they they want to be a mutant after they were victimized by the pretender and now you know so what happens if someone beats apocalypse by any chance or someone in in, in the crucible like like do they not get their does does wolverine just come out and shoot them in the back like that's yeah. <laughs> like, what the fuck happens? Human sacrifice. Not that I thought. What's her name? The the Guthrie daughter. Paige? Oh, uh, no, Paige. the other one. Uh, no, not Pixie. Um, Arrow, something like that. She was. Yeah. The one in the Crucible who was like, "It's your, you know." Paige and Sam were like, "Oh, you've been yeah. selected." She goes, yeah. and I was like, "But what if she kicks Apocalypse's ass here?" Like. <laughs> Does she does she not get her powers back? Like, okay, well, when Magneto's available, we'll do you know we'll schedule you for that. Um, and she becomes a human liaison on yeah. Krakoa. <laughs> no, I mean that. Yeah, yeah, I love that because everything about Krakoa has seemed so wonderful up until that point, and then you just see this like gladiatorial savagery, and you're like, oh shit, like this is not good. Like this perfect, like Stepford wives uh, environment has a very, very dark side and like everyone's okay with it. Like that has to come up and play some role here. And it really hasn't. I'm like, everyone's okay with the the crucible still. Yeah. Um, And you know, like, like I was contrast, I contrast Kurt with Exodus where they're both, Catholic or sensibly Catholic, Kurt with the concept of redemption and Exodus with he's the crusader. It's the inquisition. It's the, the, you know, burning those who don't believe enough. And like, I felt like you could have a little more exploration in that way, rather than just having Kurt sort of like futz around for a couple of issues and then go, Oh wait, it was onslaught. Yeah. Okay. I yeah. would love if Onslaught was more like a political construct to be like, oh, ha, 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 don't worry. Everything that just happened was Onslaught, but it really wasn't. Like, I wish yeah. we could do something clever like that. Like, you were mind-controlled. and mm. wasn't 30 years of, like, sexual tension between my father and Magneto that, <laughs> like, manifested itself. <laughs> that was the other thing we didn't discuss for this issue. Like, I felt like there was so much sexual tension between Eric and Charles and it was so obvious in the last issue, but this one, you know, they, they brought in Gabby, but I, I think I, I, I'm of two minds. Are they trying to show a very deep spiritual connection between Charles and Eric, or were the writers trying to give us some innuendos? Because we get it. Like sort of your worst enemies have been your best friends, right? Or relationships that have gone sour. Are they trying to show us the genesis of this very special bond or are there some innuendos there? Again, it's a very layered story. So I don't know what the, what, what, what the intent was at the time. Yeah. You wonder like at that, at that time, like maybe the writer didn't even really know, like he, that was just how things were portrayed at that time. And like me and my oh, best bud, we're going to go and beat up these, these thugs at the bar. And then we're going to go in and bed this, this patient of mine, <laughs> which we haven't even mentioned, but like that seemed very shady, Charles, <laughs> like you're hooking up with your patient. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but well, uh, yeah, I think, yeah. I think society has progressed quite a bit to the point where it's like, now you can be like, yeah, yeah it's probably a little bit of both. You know? Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. It, it, we don't need to put a label on it. And that's what I like about it, reading it from today's kind of sensibilities. But I'm wondering from yesterday's sensibilities, yeah. especially 
the, the, the line here where Eric is like, you make me believe that all things are possible. And then Xavier is like, I'm glad we met. I'm like, mm, there's something there. I, I, I will say it is Scott Lobdell who did write North Stars coming out mm-hmm. uh, about three years before this. Um, so it's like not an author who is unfamiliar with like gay subtext having written North star at that point for like five years. And I mean, it's, it's like shooting out a North star at that point. So, um, yeah, like I, yeah, I would wager uh, that it was, yeah. Just one of those things that like, let's see if I can sneak this as editorial. Yeah, see how much I can get in there. Um, yeah. before, before the whole Oedipus thing. The <laughs> yeah. They're all going to be so in, they're going to be wasting their time with this thing when <laughs> this was the real message that I was, I was bringing along. Oh, ghost hunter Dave, we are going on two hours here. It is always a pleasure having you although this is your first official appearance on the podcast yeah we're gonna have to do a prequel sometime we'll we'll do a prequel sometime (laughs) where where can the folks at home find you what kind of projects do you have coming up tell us um so we are imperious rex on youtube if you search for us we've done enough videos that we should come up if you just look for that by now and we're imperious rex show at twitter um and Gmail and and uh, Instagram and all that stuff. And as far as upcoming projects, we are actually, by the time this airs, we have just wrapped up our 11-month saga of the Sandman series that we've been doing live book clubs on. And I we've all read it for the first time, and it's been a blast. So we're actually, as of recording this, we will be recording our final episode tomorrow night. All right. That's why we couldn't record this tomorrow night. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we're doing a full Sandman deep dive. And then next month, uh, in lieu of the new Batman movie, we're kicking off our Bat Year, which we did once before. And now we're doing it again, where we're just going into a bunch of Batman books because we're all big Batman fans. We're not really doing it for a year. We just call it that year. And then we do it as long as we want to. (laughs) So it might last for three or four months. But yeah, every week we're just reading some different Batman books and uh, digging into those. Have you done Batgirl year one yet? I have not. No, but it's been on my list. That's um, is that Marcos Martin? doing yeah. the artwork on that oh my god yeah i have it on my shelf but i haven't read it yet you know what maybe this is a year well maybe also like that year i think yeah i mean well the the back movie is coming to hbo max soon so maybe like when that comes out but um i love that i cannot wait to tune i love so many batman stories so many bad stories i yeah bat Batman's, I mean, he's he's one of those tried and true characters. He can do a lot with it while still being very Batman, but there's a lot of different takes, a lot of great authors and artists on it. I would equate it to like Daredevil, where like the top talent does Batman, just like they do Daredevil. Like you can look back at these runs where you're like Miller, Bendis, Wade, you know, all those. Of course, Batman Morrison. has a lot more, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, Morrison, Morrison, and the Morrison before they did the, the 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 more popular Batman series, they did a Batman Gothic, which was phenomenal. I mean, that yeah. is a really good story. 
Yes. Yep. We did that a couple of years ago, actually. That's a fun one. And we did uh, his, uh, uh, Arkham Asylum as well, oh, which Arkham. is yeah. just a mind bender. Have you guys played the Arkham Asylum video game? Yeah. Yeah. Arkham series, I, all of them. Yeah. They're so good. I, I had to tap out on the last one because I'm terrible at driving the Batmobile. But, uh, <laughs> that, that is the worst part of that. It is so bad and it's in there so much. I think like for my money, my favorite is the the very first one, Arkham Asylum. I just love like a straightforward linear storyline like that. I don't have enough time for like these open world things anymore. Well, and it was kind of like the Ocarina of Time of like Batman video games because it redefined how you do a Batman video game. Although I think maybe the Batman game that came out with the first Christopher Nolan movie sort of used that fear tactic, but like Arkham like really defined it for like a whole generation. But I love the Arkham series. I played them all. I could not remember them for the life of me right now, but (laughs) I love them all. A lot of really good stuff. Like I think the modern scarecrow is very much inspired by that. They had a lot of kind of definitive takes on the rogue gallery that they established in those Arkham games. But yeah, I mean, Batman's fun. I mean, there's so many different layers and different takes on Batman that we could, we could literally do it for an entire year, but (laughs) by that point we'd be just exhausted of Batman. (laughs) So we cut it a little shorter than that. All right, guys. Well, I am Dayspring, and you can hit me up at Power of X-Men on Instagram. Do not try Twitter because I have forgotten about Twitter, sadly. I am Mr. Scott Free. I am on Instagram. I am active on Twitter, unlike Paul. And yeah, I'm around. <laughs> All right, guys. We'll see you next week. Well, thanks, Sugar. The age of apocalypse is now over. We'll see you next time.